Welcome back to another edition of New Mexico Rising. Today, we finally have Burley Kane. It's been a long time get for this interview. We're going to talk to him about his work as the State Director for Americans for Prosperity, an organization here in the state that is in recruiting, mobilizing, and engaging citizens to build community for mutual benefit. We'll talk about that work as well as some other issues of the day that are confounding the state of New Mexico. Let's get started. back ladies and gentlemen today on new mexico rising we finally get to introduce the audience and talk with burley kane burley kane is a native new mexican and has led a quite a diverse set of life experiences so after attending the university of new mexico where he studied in economic we majored in economics burley went on to run a consulting firm and he did some stock trading uh, we're going to definitely talk to him a little bit about that because in light of the markets and then, of course, he started his foray into GOP politics. He volunteered a lot. I mean, in a lot more than I have laid out here in this introduction. Um, but, you know, we'll talk to him about that as well. But in 2015, he started to make his major pivot toward policy advocacy with stints as a director of policy and chamber efforts for the New Mexico House of Representatives legislative session of 2015. He did some work for the Rio Grande Foundation. He worked at LP National, where... He was helping with the Gary Johnson campaign. Then he became uh, involved with libertarian politics here in the state of New Mexico, where he briefly served as chairman of the Libertarian Party. Then in 2017, uh, a kind of, a, I don't know, let's say a, a unique experience became available to him where he basically was tasked with recruiting educating and mobilizing citizens here in the state of New Mexico. And he stood up a New Mexico chapter for Americans for Prosperity, and he then became its state director. Um, AFP New Mexico has been pretty instrumental in some major policy uh, wins here in the state of New Mexico. The most signature, something that I was kind of aware of and probably had a little to do with when I did some volunteer work with them was definitely the right to work push here, where they went county by county to flip counties to right to work. Uh, when we had uh, one of the congressional, well, one of the gubernatorial candidates, uh, Jay Block on, he basically was part of that effort in Sanderval County and he worked, you know, very closely with AFP to help that effort. Um, he's definitely had. Uh, a great impact here in the state. And I've looked at him as someone of, somewhat of a mentor and somewhat of a friend. And we are going to finally get an opportunity to talk to him. And I look forward to that. But first, I need to make a slight correction to something I've been saying in previous episodes when it came to Michelle Lujan Grisham. So I'd always made this assumption that she had hundreds of millions of dollars of largesse to hand out to her cronies and constituents of the federal pandemic aid. And she is basically being sued 
right now by the legis uh, members of the legislature. Uh, in particular, uh, whoops, sorry, that's the wrong one. <laughs> no, in particular, she's being sued by two uh, legislative uh, representatives, Republican Senate Minority Leader uh, Gregory Baca of Belen and basic uh, Jacob Candelari of Albuquerque because apparently the Mexico governor defends her power to spend pandemic relief. Now, that pandemic relief is not in the hundreds of millions of dollars. It's literally almost a billion dollars in federal aid that she has access to. Now, she's being taken to court because she, the way the statute is written or the Constitution lays out, the legislature should have some say in how those federal funds are distributed. It would appear that the governor begs to differ. She believes that it is strictly her purview to administer that federal aid as she sees fit. She has done such things as, uh, I remember me in particular reading about giving extra money to the chili pickers um, down south to basically top up uh, basically wages so that they could lure more people in because we were going to probably have chilies rotten on the vine. She's done other things um, uh, along the lines of replenishing the unemployment insurance trust, underwriting millions in sweepstake prizes for people who got vaccinated, and of course, other agricultural prop ups as a result of the public health order that has pretty much um, been the main contributor as to why the money even has to be handed out in the first place. So sorry about that. Uh, I stand corrected. She has a billion damn dollars to do whatever she wants to do. And to a note to the GOP, that billion dollars that she's fighting in court to make sure that her branch of government can spend exclusively, it's going to get turned against you. That's her war chest, as, as well as whatever campaign finance or whatever campaign war chest she has built up. So a note to all the guests that we've had on who are running for uh, the GOP nomination for gubernatorial, you know, to be governor of New Mexico. No, that's what. That's something else you're up against, because where do you think that largesse will go? As I stated previously, constituents and cronies. All right, well, enough of that rant. Let's bring on our guest. Finally, the man, the myth, the legend, Early Kane. Welcome to New Mexico Rising. How are you doing, man? It's great. I'm doing great, Thaddeus. It's great to be here. I'm excited and sorry I couldn't make it last time I... Uh, my kiddos and I were dealing with uh, being a little sick with COVID, and so got all the antibodies, and I'm feeling great. Good to be here. Right. Team antibodies, definitely. I'm all about that. <laughs> so yes, let's kind of go back on your uh, on my kind of very clumsy bibliography of your experience. Very kind. Like very um, kind. But tell us about yourself. Fill in the gaps where I kind of left things Yeah. Out. Let us know Thanks. what's up. Um, so, by the way, you guys have a really great intro. I love the mountains and everything you guys have. This is a amazing thing you guys are putting together. I really appreciate what you guys do. Um, yeah, I born and raised here. Um, got into politics in 06 and 07. Started watching in about 2000. Started watching the uh, markets and started. I was trading the markets um, at that time and as a day trader, currencies, commodities. 
a lot of gold trading. Um, I'm a big fan of Austrian economic theory versus Keynesian economic theory. I think it's uh, fundamentally uh, part of the problem we're running into today at 30 trillion and another five or $6 trillion run here. Um, and it's, it's ultimately been a, a big backdrop of what drove me into more and more engagement and, and uh, activism in connecting to how the government is part of our lives. Um, but the long and short of that whole thing over the decade, 12 years that I was actively day trading as I kind of got more and more connected to activism, um, I started realizing I needed to get involved in politics and government. And, and so my first kind of deep foray off the, off the armchair was into helping um, in the 2008 um, election. And um, I became, I walked in and said, I'll help volunteer, just want to help you guys. And I became the central field director for all the campaigns in 2008. And from there, I went on in 2010, I was a get out the vote director for a gubernatorial campaign. And uh, 12, I ran as a candidate for House, uh, House of Representatives. And um, let's see, in 14, 15, I was uh, with the Charles Koch Institute for about a year. And in 15, I was the director of a deputy director of policy for the Republican Party uh, House Minority or House Majority for the second time in 100 years and uh, helped to train and, uh, and, and um, hire, recruit and manage and do the uh, Roberts rules and everything else during the 2015 legislative session uh, for the 42 analysts that, that I supervised and um, worked with and the House uh, as well. And um, and then in 16, I uh, decided to run Gary Johnson's campaign for president. And so me and a guy, um, Carlos Sierra, uh, kind of co-managed that campaign with a, uh, Ron Nielsen, kind of the chairman, something like that. And so we had uh, a, a really great, uh, amazing thing we did there. And then from there, I was uh, <laughs> offered the role as the state director of Americans for Prosperity a month after I became the chair of the Libertarian Party. And so I left the Libertarian Party and uh, as the chair and, and I stepped into this role and I per, uh, continue today. And uh, my work here is as a nonpartisan uh, nonprofit um, working across the spectrum of uh, those involved with government. Um, we as an organization work in government, business, uh, community and in knowledge, the key institution of uh, knowledge itself as well. And my role is to work to see the government in its proper role. And there is a proper role. It's not that there is no role. It's that there's a great role for it in, in its own space where it, it uh, helps us flourish as individuals. And our primary effort is to uh, help individuals flourish at their highest potential, to help them break through the barriers they have internally and externally so that they can achieve their highest potential in their life. And when they achieve it, there's mutual benefit for all of us through that course of determination and we all have the highest potential in our society when we can all individually flourish at our highest potential. And so to do that, we work as a team across the country and with a, a ton of amazing people um, to achieve uh, outcomes in um, things like what you talked about, Thaddeus, with uh, right to work. It's one of the biggest things we launched with. This is one of the little things that we did, but the right to work effort launched uh, in Sandoval County with Jay Block and uh, Dave Heil was uh, first the large thing we did. And we about two thirds of the county uh, counties across the state of New Mexico 
decided for themselves that um, in their own, you know, local government system that we have, where you have that federal system and then you have that state and and, and into the counties and, and local entities, um, two thirds of the state chose to protect their workers from forced unionism and forced payment to uh, a private organization that involves itself in politics at a high level in this state. And um, two thirds passed it, protected their workers. The state legislature uh, chose to uh, use the power they had to override all that idea of self-governorship and, and self-control and local control. And um, they preempted them and removed the ability for anybody to have right to work. And they said, um, if we ever want to do it, we can, uh, but nothing's going to be done right now. Um, so we moved the ball from uh, nobody can do anything to we're not going to let you. And, um, and it was pretty, at least we set that clarity that it's their choice, that they don't want you to have protection from 3% of your wages being removed from you on a, a monthly basis, which for the average union employee or somebody who's forced to be uh, associated to the union, uh, it amounts to about a quarter million dollars in the course of a lifetime in employment. So that was the first thing we did. And then we uh, reformed the pension by about $8 billion uh, para and we worked with the union. <laughs> so we'd work with anyone to do good and none to do harm. Uh, kind of very quickly after that, we designed a pension um, and we worked with uh, Para and the, and the leadership there and the, and the unions uh, helped us make phone calls to their members and others in the state to pass that. Um, and, and then uh, right after that, we went into qualified immunity reform and um, uh, worked there as well. So, uh, we're very proud of the work we do. It's uh, we, we work on large things right now. I'm working to pass education freedom accounts. Uh, we designed a comprehensive plan to let every student in the state have a structured account that allows them to spend the 12, 10, $12,000 that uh, otherwise would go into the administration and control there and let them decide if they want to stay in their zip code or not be forced to be there. And they can go to the private public charter um, any of the schools they want, homeschool, whatever options they want. And it's the most productive way for a child to be educated because they get to choose the path they flourish in. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's my big effort right now. I'm also looking to reform um, taxes and overhaul gross receipts tax. Get rid of it. It's gross. And I, I told that to Ryan Gleason the day he interviewed me for the Republican majority um, uh, deputy director. I said, what do you think of uh, gross receipts tax? I said, it's gross. And uh, it is gross. So it's a really poorly designed system that was built around the labs in the 1940s or 50s. And it's just not well designed for us today. Yeah. And then we got to work on the budget. We should get to zero based budgeting. And uh, to your point about spending a billion dollars without any accountability, it'd be great to override what the Republicans and Democrats uh, unanimously, except for one vote, gave the governor in 2003 with this super control during mm -hmm. pandemic. Uh, or any other emergency. And the only person that can tell her no is the person she appointed at the health secretary. So yeah, it's yeah. kind of crazy. That's, that's been yeah. the big thing, right? I mean, even if you try to take this to the court system, right? I mean, you're asking the court system for which was basically works at, you know, was appointed essentially by the executive branch. And we would, I don't know how the process works uh, here, but I mean, you're asking the branch that appointed one branch to tell the other branch to don't do what, you know, to, to 
allow that branch to either run ruckshot over people's you know freedoms, spend money as they see fit, or to curb its power. And I always find yeah. that to be kind of silly. But back to the uh, let's let's talk about the oh, well one. I, I I it was kind of a very uh, it's very disappointing to see that um, upon immediate changing of the guard at, at up in Santa Fe that yeah immediately they went after right to work which was yeah. one of the many many things that from the for, that many of our policy institutes particularly the Rio Grande Foundation said that like well yeah you gotta gotta you know we're not competitive and then of course my big thing has always been the gross receipt gross receipts taxes has always been hot garbage as far as I'm concerned yeah. it also it makes us very uncompetitive when it comes yeah. to a litany of other other issues I mean we are the worst of European Europe's tax regime, which are VATs, because that's all the gross receipts tax is. It's a VAT tax, a VAT yep. added tax. Um, it's going to get hit at every level. And then, you know, it only allows very, very large or well-capitalized organizations or businesses to come into the state and kind of compete, where if you're kind of a small mom and pop trying to compete against these bigger guys coming in, you are somewhat hampered financially by the fact that like they are taking an additional sum of money off the table out of, you know, basically your coffers. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, where do you stand on getting people to understand? Let's let's talk specifically about the gross receipts tax and how detrimental it has been. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, it has diminished our ability to find great ideas in the state without cronyism. And, and I actually, Wearing my United shirt, I played soccer almost all my life. I still play it today. And it's a little shout out to vote no on the bond. Please <laughs> yeah. don't give these guys a bunch more of our money like you gave to Top Golf and a bunch of other uh, cronious things that we Yeah, Top Golf is leaving. Like, like is, is it that like over with now? Aren't they like, well, the company is or, or selling or. Yeah, my understanding is that the 25 for $35 million that all the entities gave them, and they had somebody who would build it for free. No incentives, cronyism, and central planning needed, and they decided to do it anyway. Um, but the owner of the property, a pretty, a pretty good game in this world today to buy the right property before the investments come in, decided to sell it for a high sum of money. Uh, and now the, own, the lease that Topgolf has is now owned by a new person who just happened to own the land before and then sold it to the new person who has it. And they have a lease now with Top Golf, who's continuing. Um, but hey, if you own the land and somehow the entities that control our tax base and spend our money just happen to put a $45 million investment on your property that was dirt before uh, because um, the slip and slide decided to go out of business, um, it just happens to be that somehow or other, there's a moral hazard that your property just happened to have a $50 million improvement put on it and it's pretty lucrative to sell it. So, um, there's a big moral hazard when you play uh, government picking winners and losers and the wealthy and well-connected get to, to have their say in, in how my money gets spent and whether it's spent on critical infrastructure, you see it right now in the infrastructure, we've been working hard against that for six months. Um, you see three to four trillion dollars uh, in the infrastructure package you're what 1.2 um, in the uh, reconciliation package all told you're looking at five to six billion trillion dollars I, I mean we're at the point where I keep stumbling over billion to get to trillion and it's a gigantic game of cronyism and who you know and uh, and it's this this centrally planning oligarchy kind of play 
ground where you saw Heinrich, Senator Heinrich saying, I, I want to make sure that every single uh, electric vehicle manufacturer has to become unionized now under his plan. And a lot of senators around the country and the, the representatives are in this game of, well, I will come to the table for my vote in this deal. I'll give the $6 trillion uh, to these this group and this group if you get my deal. And Senator Heinrichs weighed in on what he wanted, and he wants the union in on all the electric manufacturers. Funny enough, one of my favorite companies, Tesla, one of the innovators in the, in the world today, um, is the one that's targeted by that, for instance. And I don't know if they're the only one, but it just happens to be that somehow the oh, government yeah, is no, maneuvering to force the only company that actually is creating products that I think are innovative in that space yeah. uh, to be unionized, which we saw uh, in some part, not completely, but some part of the the downfall of, of many of our American car manufacturers was some of the challenges around unionization. Um, and, and they've all worked hard to, to make themselves stronger unions and, and to do the best they can. But they really, um, to force employees and or companies to unionize, uh, industries to unionize um, instead of letting it become a natural thing. Yeah, it is, it's destructive yeah. to the American potential. Oh no, no, hands down. I mean, look, let's you know, Elon has paid both sides of the coin, right? Yeah. The reason why he 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 is is comfortable. They are now relatively cash producing as they are now is the fact that they are still getting substantial yes. amounts of subsidies and. Most important, every every one of his cars, right? Every car right now, as it stands, but they also have lots of carbon credits, which they trade. Yes. However, because he is sort of outspoken on other issues, particularly SpaceX side, I mean, yeah. the crap that he has to deal with with the FAA and the EPA, and, <laughs> and they, name yeah. name an organization down there at Boca Chica, um, or Boca Chica, um, is is is. It's crazy. And the fact that he's now said, all right, well, California, you can, you know, screw off. I'm going to, I'm going to start, you know, transitioning my operations to yeah. Texas. Yeah. This, you, you want to, you, you, it's not far removed to put one's tinfoil hat on and say, like, this is absolutely retaliatory in this regulation. Oh, well, in this legislation. Mm-hmm. On top of the fact that we're, it's just another basically sop to, a consti- certain constituencies across the fruited plain here who mm. are going to benefit from that. Like blue yeah. states, particularly New Mexico, paid no fiscal price for the implementation of these public health orders and, and, and the dendrils of those public health orders and the derivatives of those public health orders that will be with us from now until God knows when. Mm-hmm. They paid no price. Because yeah. as I read before, she used a lot of Michelle Lujan Grisham used a lot of the federal funds that came from like these stimulus and you know financial aid and whatever to do so. And and all the new reconciliation bill and infrastructure bill does is codify mm-hmm. that continued largesse into law. So they will continually for the next decade at least, even though they're trying to play around with five-year versus 10-year projections, but for at least the next decade they're going to get federal subsidies for all kinds of madness. Yeah, that, um, that whole, there's such a, uh, a broad moral hazard in this whole thing. You know, if you look at, there's a lot of studies that have looked at blue states. Blue states are particularly bad at spending into the future and borrowing from the future. 
And, and you can't do that to some extent in the state, but you can create systemic problems, particularly in pensions. And a number of the blue states, if you will, have very bad problems with pensions. And that's why we worked on PARA here. The teachers union uh, uh, pension fund is actually worse. And they're in, in consequential danger of having a death spiral. Um, they did some tweaks a little bit here and there, but they really, if there was a serious downfall in the market, a lot of these pensions are in, in danger of eating the corpus. And that means the core funds that have been put into it by the pensioners are in danger of being used to distribute to the pensioners. Right. Then uh, it becomes just basically a Ponzi scheme. And that. then, yeah, you don't have enough core funds to create returns, which are normally what you use to pay out the pensioners. Correct. You never want to touch the corpus in a solid fund. In, in the Constitution of New Mexico is required to make that whole. So if we had had an $8 billion fund collapse and the tent and the teachers for union as well, you would have had the state of New Mexico, which has an $8 billion budget annually have to make whole the pensioners in an $8 billion pension fund. And, and on top of everything else, you look at places like California you, and Calpers, Illinois. You like Illinois, you have massive problems. Now, one thing that's happening across the country that I'm seeing is there is a moral hazard in a lot of these blue states that have problems in their financial stewardship, that they were in, in, endowed with massive amounts of money borrowed from the future to basically take it from the state having no ability to borrow from the future to having the federal government give them money from the future to make whole a lot of these challenges they've had in how they've run their state budgets. Yeah, and, no. and it's an interesting dynamic to look at. And it's really problematic for all of us because um, you can only park the problem in the debt for so long. Yeah. And that's the problem. Right. Like, let's assume let's look at our budget here in the state of New Mexico when it comes to it, the you know one of the ma major contributors to said budget is oil and gas. And mm -hmm. I have been we have tried to be bigger advocates for, you know, the plight of people in the northwest part of this state and in the southeast part of this state yep. who get basically treated like redheaded stepchildren. They are big contributors to the overall budget, but there is a hostile regime in the in the not not only the federal bureaucracy now, but in the state bureaucracy, which is making it more and more uh, difficult for that oil and gas uh, to be, you know, to be prosperous and, you know, by extension, contribute to the budget. Mm -hmm. um, they seem pretty hell bent on doing green, no matter what, no matter the, the madness that uh, of closing or basically shuttering at this point in the next year, uh, next year, uh, the San Juan production up in mm -hmm. the Northwest. And that, and, and, you know, and at the same time, they're making the, they have these pensions that are time bombs. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, for, you know, I mean, good on you guys for working with, you know, one union to help them kind of at least put themselves on, on, on some sort of glide slope. But I mean, the teachers union, uh, yeah, and particularly the rank and file people need to be very, very careful about what they invest in. How much, I, I don't know how much you know about this, but of these kind of state pension funds that are now wanting to um, decarbonize, so to speak, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. implement this ESG nonsense in there. I mean, have you seen, are any of our state pension funds doing that nonsense by shooting themselves in the foot and basically investing in these kind of pie in the sky, you know, uh, corporate governance, societal governance, 
non is ESG nonsense, decarbonizing, even though it's kind of a, you know, it's a chief contributor. Have you seen pension funds here in the state that are like kind of instituting this, this environmental, societal, governmental nonsense of ESG in their portfolios, hence making their portfolios not very stable? So the short answer is I don't know. That's a good question. I have to look at that. And, um, you know, economics is my major and, and a place of uh, great joy for me and, and also <laughs> great awareness of a lot of sorrow that we're going to endure and have endured because of central planners in this space. And the pernicious uh, space in economic theory is behavioral economic theory, where they, those who with the PhDs and those with um, titles and, and tassels, uh, really have this high notion that they have designed your use of soda, how much soda you're able to drink. And they understand whether you should be able to drive a car that has a combustible engine or not, um, and or wreck a sector of the economy when it's naturally evolving faster than it should and destroy vast swaths of people's lives and generations of human beings and their potential and hard work to learn trades and, and not give them uh, any real normalcy in how economies shift. And over time, if they're gonna shift to uh, more technologies, uh, different technologies, that's gonna happen, right? I mean, the world will shift over time to other things, um, but to force them to happen like that, to use behavioral economics to say that nobody out there except the PhDs has any kind of moral, um, stance here that any that none of us who who uh, support oil and gas and i do um have any kind of awareness that we all are looking at making um uh steward being stewards and we all are we want to be stewards of our earth and of our future and our generations and our economy and this this moral fallacy that their phds give them some kind of a um superiority over our ability to plan an economy over time and, and through natural spontaneous order is 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 destructive to all of us it's very uh you look at farmington right now they've decimated that city uh they've really damaged a lot of that city they're trying to do the same thing to the southeast in the permian and the delaware basin systems um and and you know that to your point 40 50 percent of the state budget for decades uh so many of these people who are walking around with tassels and pedigrees are saying you know this should go away overnight and we should just destroy uh and allocate and and uh, new deal, or yeah. all of your money and your future potential when many of them uh got their start from this budget mm -hmm. from many of them got their start from this industry and understandable that you have to be careful about the environment and you have to be understanding of what what technologies are innovating and we all do if we're going to be stewards of everything in the future but to have that kind of moral high ground stance when they really don't understand that central planning has always failed and it always will and they're leading us off a cliff they yeah. don't understand the, the, the damage they do, and um, they have little consequence for the thousands of families that they're destroying when they do these things. You look at, um, I heard a trucker one time or a, a person up in Canada, and they just ended the pipeline overnight. Um, yeah, you're talking about the Keystone XL. Keystone. Yeah. And, and this guy, you know, uh, he's just an average guy working on a, a rig or whatever he's doing, and he said, I just bought a brand new truck. 
And the guy, I think he was in tears and they have a family. These people, they're human beings. And, and to, to walk around with the notion that you care about human beings and have no regard for any kind of awareness of, of your destructive capacity over an economy is, is, um, has been seen throughout history in, yeah. in central planners that have destroyed uh, massive economies across the world. And it's, it's, um, it's no different today. It doesn't change because we have computers. Or right. <laughs> well, yeah, it's almost like there's no hindsight, right? There's no, that's the, that's the problem with these people. They, I understand that they're learned and smart and, and good on them. Yeah. Um, but you I'll know, listen. Almost, I appreciate the knowledge. Like, yeah. Yeah. But almost like they don't like, Hey, there's this component of like looking forward that you have to look back and be like, well, what has worked and what hasn't worked? And no, it's not a it's not a good retort to be like, well, we just didn't do it right back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's if nothing new under this the sun. time. You, yeah, you, yeah. You know, <laughs> and and you get into ideas like socialism and communism and, and uh, fascism and these ideas of large governments. They're all totalitarian. They all assume that they have some special elixir that is going to outperform spontaneous order, and yeah. it won't. You can just you can delay the inevitable, but you can't change innovation. You can't change the reality that um, the only time a monopoly exists in perpetuity is because the government makes it happen. Monopolies naturally end through time and pressure from the public to see innovation occur and or be implemented. And this fallacy that um, they are the ones who have the best option of what the future should look like is so destructive to our potential as a species and our potential as a, as, as New Mexicans for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's what drives me to do what I do every day. I love innovation. I love the potential of human beings to flourish. And I, um, you know, there's a great quote in economics. There's uh, how little you can actually plan the economy. That's yeah. what you can have certainty in in economic theory. Mm-hmm. So speaking of destructive, right? I mean, you told a very good story and that's what I've kind of learned when I kind of did some, you know, you know, grassroots leadership training with you guys was telling stories that yes. story about the trucker about the guy who bought the truck who worked on the pipeline and you know this be yeah. the destruction that a yeah. one policy decision makes so that kind of dovetails yeah. into this next story that i wanted to kind of get your take on and stuff like that and that is vaccine mandates and in particular mm-hmm. how those vaccine mandates are now impacting parts of the economy so yep. just to kind of bring this up, um, I think it was, yeah, about, I think Friday, uh, judge uh, denies requests to block labs operators uh, vaccine mandate. So basically, um, for all intents and purposes, mm-hmm. the judge basically said no one is uh, no one is sticking a needle in anyone's arm. All that is being said is if you don't get vaccinated, you must find somewhere you must find work somewhere else. The mm-hmm. flippant nature of that. Um, and, and the same thing's happening at San Diego as well, um, where, you know, they're just going to they're just going to either, you know, straight terminate you, which they won't. They will put you on administrative leave with no pay, even if one is to have an, a, a, a religious exemption. But if one doesn't have a religious exemption, then they will probably move that process along to terminate you. And, you know, everyone's just like, all right, well, you know, we're only going to lose uh, it looks like Los Alamos may lose three, four percent of people due to this. It looks like Sandia may lose probably about the same percentage and stuff like that. But 
here's the problem with that that I I've been telling a lot of my my friends, coworkers, and people who have kind of been, you know, um, kind of uh, not empathetic to the plight of people who really don't want to take this jab in version 1.0. You do understand that the people who have that kind of conviction that are just going to be like, all right, well then I'll just, mm-hmm. I'll just quit my job are the people you don't want to lose. Yeah. And for every one of those people, cause you know, this is about people for every one of those people who say, well, I got to go. And that leaves behind three or four people who will not like this or have to pick up the slack for someone who's gone mm-hmm. and who feels somewhat, um, I'll use this term, emasculated in the fact that they had to submit to get this. Mm-hmm. And as I've said before, a man never forgets that you made him submit. He will hold that indignity until the day he dies or he extracts revenge. And I and, and, and that's not a threat. That's mm-hmm. just human nature. Mm-hmm. And there's this great resignation that's happening because those appointed over us those with the titles and tassels, I like that, um, said that, that this is this is public policy. We will implement this public policy. You will submit to this public policy. And what you're seeing from truckers to port workers on the West Coast to airline pilots to members of the armed forces, both reserve and active duty, is you're seeing a great resignation. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. has detrimental um, circumstances, uh, detrimental circumstances for the entire economy from natural gas production to oil production to just making widgets Mm -hmm. that's going to have an effect on people so i mean i'll I'll let you wax eloquent about the vaccine mandate and stuff like that but i mean that's my that's my theory that's my kind of going that's my thing on twitter like the great resignation is happening atlas is shrugging Yes. And, and I think you're seeing that exact thing. I think you, you pointed eloquently out exactly what is happening. If, if, if this is frustrating anyone out there and you haven't read Atlas Shrugged, pick it up and read it. This is happening in your lifetime. You are watching a generation of critical thinkers who are out there looking at the entirety of uh, science uh, that is here for everyone to see on all sides of this. And um, you're seeing a lot of amazing, talented people who are making the choice to go to Golf Gulch. And that means to disappear as an innovator in your society. And not even physically disappear, but to mentally check out. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Again. That's a very good point. Very good point. To your point, uh, some of them are saying, I quit and and literally disappearing. And some of them, to your point, that is just saying, I'm no longer inspired by the ethics of this situation and or the virtue of this situation. And there is no there's there's no consideration for the science that they're following and or very little and or um just the 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 inherent individualism of americans and and the importance of being individuals in america um, and being able to say i don't want to do this and there's a great 
tragedy that is happening with these companies that think that they have to do this because they don't. Um, uh, but they are choosing to do that. And um, I, I would, I, I'm, I'm glad to see individuals who take the steps they need to take, whether it's to stay and uh, in, 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 um, fight for whatever they want or leave. Um, and you'll see, to your point, you will see um, a, a tragedy of, of amazing people who leave incredible work and they diminish the outcome of that. But you will see some of them who move on and to go to other places where their talents are more um, admired and understood or respected. Um, and you will see them do amazing things. In the so. economy, that's what's the amazing thing about all this. As much as these central planners think that they can design a perfect thing for us, they don't understand the spontaneous order is much more dynamic than they are, much more capable than they are, and much more productive than they are, and much more flourishing outcomes than they will ever achieve. And, and it's the fallacy of those who have that much audacity. And it's not going to happen the way they think it will. And uh, I don't care how much you trade the markets, how many PhDs you think you have, how um, great you think your industry is and how uh, apparent you've locked yourself into legislation and law, you will be taken out by somebody who is innovative and passionate and driven. And um, if you're not thinking on your feet and looking to respect the people who make your business thrive and make your industry thrive, then you will be replaced by the marketplace and innovated beyond and changed and relegated to the past. And, um, and so I'm always optimistic and, and, and passionately so, but I would also say that there's, there is a way to, to understand that if you call the New Civil Liberties Alliance, um, they're, they're working in, in bringing lawsuits forward against public entities who are doing the mandates uh, and, and requiring vaccinations. If you go to Pacific Legal Fund, um, they're a massive West Coast California organization that it has thousands of people calling them and saying, um, we are looking at lawsuits and they're, they're proceeding with lawsuits. So um, I, 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 I hear many and I am, it is to hear these, this many people who are, are being ripped apart from the things they love is, is, is tragic, but it is sometimes what you need to do or it's we have to experience it it is what it is at this time to understand how to how to measure uh the proper role of government and it might be it is um outside of its boundaries here and um yeah no, I, 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 but we have to step up and, and 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 understand how to um civilly and respectfully courageously hold our integrity and 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 if you don't then these, these, uh, those who think they know better will continue to try and, and maneuver your life in the future for you. Yeah, no, and I, I, I hear you on the optimism side of it. I, I hope out of the darkness comes the Star Trek universe and stuff. I hope <laughs> out of this darkness comes people who will build companies of the future, organizations of the future that, that understand that, that it, I guess embody the cult, the more cultural aspects, the more family aspects of things, but then at the same time, respects civil liberties, respects people's minds, respects actual true diversity, not yeah. just the skin deep diversity and stuff yeah. like that. I, you know, I just, but there's a lot of darkness coming. And I think that what it does down the chain really is it hurts 
the supply chain. It hurts mm-hmm. innovation for a tad. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you're right. We don't know what will come out of this. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, we didn't. You know, Uber was nothing more than a pushback against the fact that, like, getting a cab anywhere was a pain in the butt. Um, you know, we, yeah. you know, yeah. um, we didn't know that would existed. And I think the thing I like about Uber that people don't tend to like about Uber is it didn't ask for permission. It just asked for <laughs> forgiveness. And I think um, there will be lots of companies. I mean, just think of I think of microbreweries, particularly particularly like the microbrewing industry in the United States, one unshackled thrived. You see it with cannabis, um, where once rules were kind of removed that, you know, one couldn't get thrown in a cage for having a plant. We're seeing edibles, we're seeing therapeutics, we're seeing, you know, paraphernalia, we're seeing research and development into what all these cannabinoids actually do. So yeah, thank you for the white pill. But for right now, there's going to be a very dark, dark, dark winter coming about. And yeah, you know, Winston Churchill said something I think of sometimes in these dark, in these dark times, if you're going through hell, keep going. And you got to have a vision of where you're going to go. And you got to know that the innovators are going to be the future. And those who have a designs of, of value creation that want to create a society of greater potential for all of us individually, and they want to go create products that make our lives better, you know, that is the future. And um, they can try all they want to destroy Elon Musk and stop, uh, you know, Captain Kirk from going to space and, and do everything <laughs> they can do to make, you know, this world of wealthy and well-connected, the ones that get to control our future, they won't get to control it. It is absolutely not going to happen. And it is those of us who, um, who fight through that who are going to get there and do it for everyone else. And... Um, you know, we, we have hard work to break through these monopolies of government uh, and to fight for freedom, to be innovators and critical thinkers. And and, uh, um, uh, and it, it will happen. We're going to do it. It has always happened. That's the magical thing, the wondrous thing about spontaneous order and creative destruction. The gale forces of creative destruction will win in these systems. Um, and they will overcome these, the, the tyranny of the, uh, uh, of that system. Um, the, the reality is that it, 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 if you look back through history, we have carried the knowledge of, of freedom and, and thought and theory and spontaneous order. It is evolving and coming forward through it all. And we've been through some horrible things in the, in the pursuit of the individual being a free person. And, um, it's ever better. But it always is challenged and tested. And, um, you know, it's going to take me 10 years to to pass education freedom accounts in this state. Uh, If we can really do a good job, we might get it sooner. But I'm not going to give up on the 55,000 kids who fail in Albuquerque public schools because they're forced to be in the zip code. They're born in and everyone and those who are wealthy and well connected get to escape it. Um, We're not going to give up on all of them. And we're not going to give up on ourselves and the individuals and the, and the barriers that they create are going to be broken. So yeah. I, I am I am a super optimist. And, and that's what uh, brings me through the night every time um, and, and through the 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 virtuous cycle of knowledge transforming continually how we pursue things. And, and but we know our vision. It's a society of mutual benefit where the individuals flourish at their highest potential. And you just have to believe in in that possibility 
understand your own potential in that uh, outcome and every day do everything you can to, you know, care for your, your loved ones and inspire those around you to, to overcome the, the, this, this cliched ma uh, minority of people who think they know better than we do in, in uh, living a life of flourishment and prosperity. Yeah. No. And uh, we will win. So yeah, no, let's talk about that because that's a, that's my other big bugaboo I love to talk about on the show is, is, is look, the failure of education here in the state of New Mexico yeah. and why it is it is a raging dumpster fire, how over yeah. the course of the last year, it has been blatantly obvious for those who have been able, who've been, you know, fortunate enough to be at home with their children as they do these Zoom, you know, conferences, i.e. classrooms, they're not... A lot of parents have seen what their kids are being taught, how the curriculum is presented, how the curriculum is even taught, and they and and it left it left them wanting, yeah. um, you know, from critical race theory to just just standardized testing, just the fact that like our graduation rates are just awful. Yeah. Um, I mean, and even to the point where now we understand like the PED, like has again we we kind of discussed briefly, you know, kind of discussed this in the beginning doesn't care about subsidiarity at all it doesn't you know i'm i'm very suspect of the ped coming down and disbanding or overruling school boards even if those school boards are are hot garbage and corrupt because that that's the that's the purview of parents and then local municipality to handle that not mm -hmm. the ped um the ped's COVID policies are terrible um, I'm thinking they probably in, they maintain them only because they're getting federal funds. Um, I mean, just it, I guess briefly explain how we can kind of start to unwind that with these 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 kind of these these basically these education savings accounts. Um, well, that will that, or or some or some form of that that's going to allow choice, which will probably yeah. hopefully break up that I guess monopoly. So the vision is every child pursues the path of their flourishment. That's the vision. Empower the child. Right now, to your point, the power is with the administrations. Even at this county level, yeah. it's at the administration level. They control the funding. They control the money. They control the system. The education system in the United States today is pretty clear in evidence in, 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 the, uh, in the studies and in the understandings of what we see today. Two thirds of students are out completely checked out by the time they're seniors. Oh, yeah. A system that was designed a long time ago to be for the average. So the average student should be totally checked in at senior level if it's working correctly. The average the system actually is that two thirds succeed average and or no i'm sorry one third succeeds and two thirds do not and are completely checked out and un, un, yeah they're, 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 they're biding time they're they're, they're they're i mean they're literally just biding their time if they yeah. do because i mean that's why i mean ironically enough here in new mexico like high school graduation is a bigger deal than college graduation right because mm -hmm. yeah because it's you've endured yeah, and it may be the furthest education you're ever going to get on the outside of what you actually learn in the career you choose, which correct. a lot of times we should let kids who really flourish in some pathway of one of the incredible careers they could, like $100,000 yeah. a year as a welder. Yeah. Why are they forced to, to sit in a chair because they're this old and they're um, and they're uh, they 
they're told that they have to study all these things for this long and they're completely bored and uninterested. And the crazy thing about this whole thing is you have mandatory time. So you tell a kid, you yeah. have to study this for an hour. And one of the kids says, I got it in five minutes. And the other kid says, I'm have I'm not even a third of the way there, but oh. they're both going to sit there. One's going to endure 55 minutes of, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm good. I don't need to understand this. I actually get all this and I'm, uh, I'm ready to move on, ready to move on to the next pillar that will basically build the tower of Babel of knowledge for Mm -hmm. the particular area that they're obviously interested in because they were able to pick it up very quickly. So they can't pursue their aptitude and their flourish point. Um, And the other student is, is 20% of the way there after an hour. And if you're going to force them to do this, they're going to fall further and further behind and more and more disconnected and maybe even frustrated in the class with others create disruptions that may make them seem like they're not uh, civil or tolerable in our, in our kids classes and disconnect them from society. The whole system is not well designed to understand that every child is unique. I have two twin 18 month old daughters. I love them dearly. They're the greatest joy to me on this planet. I'm even getting teary eyed thinking about them talking about this in this conversation. I want them to flourish. And I think about my kids and I think about having 55,000 Albuquerque public school kids who can't pass a basic entrance exam in, in, a, in a business. And that is a, it is an abject, horrid failure to let that many kids not pursue their potential, to let them be stuck in a system based on their zip code where you could let a very clear awareness now is that if you let students and their parents have a managed account where they get the ten to twelve thousand dollars that students in the state spend, and they spend it on a structured way, on the path of their achievement, you will find outcomes that are incredible. Yeah. For many of these kids, and and some of them may still have a couple problems, but most of them will find the pursuit. You, yeah, you bring that fifty-five thousand down, at least in Albuquerque, Albuquerque public schools, you bring that down tremendously, and that's the problem, right? The other reason why we seem to be having the economic difficulties we're having with the 10.2 or 10.3 million open jobs isn't simply because we're paying people to stay home, isn't simply because we've scared a crap ton of them uh, to death about COVID or the fact that we've even, um, for, for the most part, taken away predictability of sending your children to school for single parents mm-hmm. is they're not qualified. We don't have those people trained in a lot of these areas, particularly the trades, where we have told generations of children that once you are done with high school, you must go then pursue scholarly work in college in some esoteric area that has very little to do with getting out in the real world and actually using your hands, brain, or any other talent that you mm-hmm. have that is not nourished, I, in my opinion, in the current public school system. Yep. And you're, you're just telling them, like, no, go to college. And so now you have all these people, particularly in the last recession that we had, which was back in 2008, 2009, where a lot of people came out of uh, college with these worthless degrees, could not find work. Yep. Because the work that's kind of needed in recessions or in downturns in the uh, in the basically the turnaround period for recovery mm-hmm. are jobs where you use your hands, some mm-hmm. where you use your brain, but nothing that none of these 
soft skills or soft sciences, soft sciences more than anything. Soft skills are actually very important and they actually can actually take you a long way if you're willing to learn and stuff like that. So this to me is beautiful. If we can bring back vocation, if we can bring back apprenticeship, if we can bring back, you know, if we can adjust some child labor laws so we can allow these kids once they reach a certain age to spend part of the day in structured curriculum and another part of the day working that does more to educate the next generation of New Mexicans, particularly if they want to, if they want all this new green energy, that stuff is very complicated mm-hmm. to implement. Um, and I think it really connect parents too. Yes. you know, parents, I, I can only imagine, I, I don't kids in school yet, but if I was a parent and it was apparent to me that my kids were not getting a good education, they were in a classroom, that had all these problems in it, right? They're not connecting all these kids. And over the course of years, it just gets harder and harder and harder. You're supposed to be in this class and you're supposed to be in this class and you guys are miles apart now in how you look at the class and what you're doing. And one of you feels connected and one of you doesn't. If I was forced to sit in that situation every month and, and watch my kid fail, and I, I, I talk to the, stu- the teacher and every month I go in uh, have a discussion at the parent-teacher conference, and I say, hey, this is starting to work badly. This is failing. Like my student is disconnecting more and more and he doesn't, he hates being in this class now. And he really loves the time he gets to spend with his dad welding if I was mom or something, uh, you know, whatever it might be. The time outside of the class is the interesting thing to him. None of the things in class are connecting him. If the parents just told, hey, this is how it works. This is what we do. And then the teacher leaves and uh, the conference and says, well, it's the parent's fault parents not connected enough to the kid. Well, the kid, the parents noticing it and saying, Hey, this is a problem. I want to change it, but nothing I tell the teacher matters. Right. Teacher's because the teacher is, yeah, the teacher is slave to the confines of the, the structure. System is designed must be, yeah. To, yeah. To like basically no, no, he should be, no, you're, you're, you're a parent. You're not engaged. Uh, you must make your kid more engaged and in, be involved as a parent by basically saying, Basically, what they're saying is make them conform to the system that is failing right. them. And the parents yeah. saying, like, this system's failing my kid. What parents end up doing, in my case in particular, you end up just actually telling your children, look, just bide the time. Right. You know, just just do this yeah. when this Please, is done. Just graduate. Do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. That's exactly what the, we A parent's in. choice today is if, you're, if your child is one of the two-thirds who is mm-hmm. not connecting – you have to tell your kid to conform harder. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's, that's the option you that's got. Right? <laughs> Get back in there and, and make it work. And if you totally just spaced out because they didn't connect you at all for the last three years, well, we can talk about you stepping back and doing it again for another year. Yeah. That sounds yeah. like a lot of fun. That as sounds like, that totally sounds like a different and has figured out how to mentally tune out. Yeah. Eight hours of their day for, uh, what, 200 days of their year for eight years of their life. And now, hey, go to college. Do it again. Yeah. do it. Keep doing it and doing it. You don't really honestly get to do what you want to do in college until your later, you know, your upperclassmen years or graduate school. Yeah. That's when you yeah. actually get to apply with the, with the, you know, some of the skills that you somehow picked up as an under underclassman. And that's just not right. And yeah. so that's yeah. I, I 
So I the agree with the effort. Account, they're called education savings accounts in other places in the country. West mm -hmm. Virginia just passed it in two years. Florida has it. There's a number of places that have it. If you pass this, 90% of the students in the state naturally gravitate toward this. Some have other ideas and vouchers and scholarships and charters, uh, and they want to take those options. And that's great. This is not a this works and nothing else does. This is whatever the best course of options for the kids is let's do that. This is very well understood that it works really well because the parents and the student work together to understand what me mechanism, avenue, uh, curriculum is going to help the child flourish the most. And the administrations around the state that are private, public, or whatever they are that connect to that and really help that parent and child flourish are going to be successful in getting funds toward them. The ones that say conform harder to a broken system are going to find students that disconnect from them. And if they have an avenue, they would already be doing this. They don't want it because they know that they will have students leave and they're going to have to make changes. They're going to have to innovate and get into the modern economy like everyone else in the world and start to understand that these are our most precious, precious gifts and that every child should have the option to take the path that most encourages their flourishment. Well, man, I think we can leave it at that. I appreciate finally getting you on. It was awesome. Finally. It was awesome. To kind of chop it up a little bit <laughs> Sorry, and stuff like sure. that. No, no, no. And like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to hear that, you know, the, all the girls, Bree in, included, fine after the great. covid scare and stuff like that you guys got the antibodies congratulations tiger blood. now tiger you got blood. the tiger blood yeah. <laughs> baka you are and being summoned my friend gentlemen good are. afternoon Hello. good afternoon i uh <clears throat> i was very interested in your talk today well done well done Thanks. lots of but fun. you know i think i fall into the Thank demographic you, right so um <laughs> So quick things, right? What we got October 24th, a week from today, we have a Larry Marker is coming on. Are you guys familiar with Larry Marker? Oh, Apparently not. he's, he's big in the, uh, defiant, the defiant set of New Mexico freedom fighters. So he's from set down South. We're going to learn more about him, uh, taking it to, uh, Frau governess, I suppose we could say. Um, <laughs> and then November 2nd, Speaking of politics, we have a big vote coming up, right? I'm not an early yeah. voting guy. I'm hey, done. Vote no on the uh, on the United Bond. Go watch a soccer game, but make them pay for it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's think this through. And don't vote early. That's my thing. Like, I mean, if you can if you can manage, go on the day of and go vote. I don't care who you vote for, but go vote on the day of. Let's at least make it difficult for them to uh, perform any weird. How do I say this? Let's just get out there and vote on the day, all right? And then, um, oh, you brought up Atlas Shrugged, and I always love a moment to 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 shield for to shield for Miss Rand, uh, yes. who it's one of my favorite books. It changed my life uh, in multiple ways. It's great. Uh, my family always knows it's like a joke now. Every Christmas, somebody, at least one person, is getting a copy for Christmas because I'm like you. It's usually the person that probably said the most socialistic bullshit thing to me that year is getting. A copy of Atlas Shrugged that Christmas. Like, here you go. Time for you That's to read, awesome. buddy. Oh, you already got me this. I think you need to revisit it. I um, love the virtuous cycle. Knowledge transforms. You self-actualize that knowledge and yeah. you realize you need more knowledge. Absolutely. And then uh, the only other thing I thought of, my, like there's a lot of 
buzzwords and things you guys said today that I kind of wanted to pick out. But my favorite was conform harder. <laughs> so, I've never said that before. I I'm titles that. and tassels. That's my new one. Nice alliteration there, Burley. There were some good ones today. But titles conform and harder. And conform harder. Yeah, if your kid is in a situation where they are essentially being told, hey, the problem is that your kid isn't conforming hard enough, you might want to reevaluate what you're doing with your precious little treasure. 80%. Uh, it's it's pretty clear about 80% of the state want this. You know, and, and so the human action model, Ludwig von Mises, um, a sense of unease, yet understand the real problem. You had, you, people need to know 55,000 students are failing yeah, every year in APS alone. You need to have uh, a, a vision of a better state. And for me, it's education savings accounts in part. It's also not having to conform harder. It's flourishing more, right? And, and then you have to have a pathway to get there. And the pathway to get there is passing education savings accounts, and getting parents connected to the fact that their kids will flourish if they're allowed to take the path they want to take. And, and I'll leave you with a sense of unease on this note. <laughs> I was, I, I've been fighting the charter school moratorium for four years. Ever since I got here, I fought it. They've been trying to stop charter schools from starting. They don't like that these guys are able to start a charter school. It's a publicly funded school that competes on some level against traditional public schools. I'm in a hearing two years ago I believe COVID has kind of messed my time frames up, but I think it was two years ago. And I had an administrator, and this is on public testimony in a committee from Albuquerque Public Schools, I believe it was, who said it's not fair that charter school students are allowed options that our public school traditional schools don't have, and they shouldn't be allowed to do that. So that philosophy to keep in mind, their vision is I don't want pathways of flourishment for them if I can't use them too. And I control what we get to do and they're doing it and I don't want to do it here. So I'm not going to let them do it there. It, yeah. It's, it distribution, it's the redistribution outcome, of mediocrity. Really. Yeah. And the Everyone outcome, should suck. Everyone the should one suck. you're hurting as the administrator of a, a system of education is the kid who doesn't get that option. I've learned in my short time on this earth, that if somebody is using the F word on you, the fair word, you yeah. should be paying fucking attention. <laughs> <laughs> Just like as soon as somebody says fair, yeah. hey, it makes my yeah. neck twinge. There isn't very, there's fair has nothing to do with anything. Spidey sense word. Yeah, Can't yeah, absolutely. So, um, gentlemen, anything else to show? We still are selling Thad's glowy box thingies. Hey, love it. Love it. You get one of those. You do need to get your hands on a Thad's Glowy yeah, Box thing. Too. It's got colors. It. It's cool in your house. It supports us doing actually, weird it stuff. It sets the mood. It sets the mood, definitely. You know, I'm mood. Saying? One more time. One more demonstration. There you go. Boom. Mood instantly. Thad's Glowy Box thingy. <laughs> get, get you a Thad's Glowy Box thingy. And I'll, uh, I'll yeah. throw in their uh, website uh, www.afpnm.org. Yeah, there you go. Come on, check it. us out. We got a lot of cool stuff we're doing, and uh, we need your help. We're actually fighting the infrastructure and bipartisan infrastructure package and the reconciliation. We'd really like to have the critical infrastructure spending actually on critical infrastructure and not on Heinrich's forced yeah. unions. Get over this. Yeah, not on a wish list of progressive uh uh, fever dreams or, or wet dreams oh, or whatever the hell they wanted. So. Go learn about some liberty. It's right across from the college. It, yeah. it, if you're a 
student and something is off and you just don't know what you're not conforming hard enough go across the street check out the afp conform harder you're not conforming hard enough you unm student just something's off but it's it's not the school it's you come on over go over we'll, the afp uh, i'll buy the coffee we'll we'll chat yeah All right. take us out of here Bogan. see you guys thanks guys